Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day of life of Jesus meets yours. In this episode, we continue our study of Old Testament Bible history using especially highlights from the Lutheran Catechism, and we continue with our study of the Passover. This recording is from January 24th, 2021. Here goes. So last time, hopefully you didn't have much problem with the, uh, the key questions on page 46. Um, and today, uh, microphone cord is a little long. Uh, today, slavery in Exodus, Passover, and the tenth plague will be in Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12. The plague on the firstborn and rescue for God's people. Um, we'll go for about 25 minutes here until quarter to 10, and then we'll leave the rest up to you. Excuse me. Uh, Got to have the coffee. All right. Um, slavery in Exodus, Passover, and the Tenth Plague. Exodus chapter 11 is where we are beginning. Uh, the bullet points there in your workbook. First, God planned a disastrous final plague against Egypt. Every firstborn male in Egypt would die. Second point, God rescued his people through the blood of a flawless lamb painted on their door frames. And then thirdly, the Passover is a powerful picture of the rescue from spiritual death that Jesus won for us with his blood shed on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So when we get to the Passover and the plague on the firstborn, it's called Passover because the angel of death passed over the houses that were painted with the blood of the lamb. And it's a very vivid picture that God planned in advance um, to demonstrate that the blood of the perfect lamb, lamb would save from death. Um, and maybe it brings to mind John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, and Jesus celebrates the Passover on Monday, Thursday evening. And in the middle of that Passover, he institutes the Lord's Supper. And then um, they would slaughter their lambs between, it would be Monday, Thursday evening and Good Friday evening. And Good Friday, Jesus dies on the cross as the perfect Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And that's all that... There's a lot more imagery. There's a lot of imagery that God built into Passover, and he commanded them to celebrate it every year as a remembrance, but also it would be a foreshadowing, um, a look ahead, a preview of the Jesus who would be coming. So Exodus chapter 11 reads like this. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. I don't know if I really noticed that before. Moses himself was highly regarded by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. He's been interacting with them for maybe a few weeks at this point. Um, and, and he's conducted himself well, and these unbelievers have noticed. Verse 4, So Moses said, This is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to uh, the firstborn of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. 
all those officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. So a couple of things. Um, first of all, that, that part, not a dog will bark. Verse 7, but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Um, <laughs> kind of a funny picture. That life is so quiet and sedate um, that even the, the little white yipper dog who lounges on the back of the couch isn't going to, he's just going to lift up his head and go back to sleep. Even that dog that barks at the drop of a hat or the drop of somebody's mitten or the ding-dong of the doorbell um, even that dog isn't going to be disturbed by anything. It's just going to be so calm and tranquil, as contrasted with the weeping and wailing throughout Egypt. That has never been, there's never been anything like it, nor would there ever be anything again. And uh, point number two, as we get into this, that through the ten plagues, um, God systematically goes through and demolishes all the gods of all the major gods of the Egyptian pantheon, um, all the major gods that they worshipped, that they thought the Nile was a god. They thought um, there was a god who controlled the locusts, a god who controlled the frogs, and, and they get to be more powerful and powerful, a god who controls the sun, and he sent night. Um, all the way down to the very closest god of all for the Egyptians was Pharaoh. Pharaoh who sits on the throne was a god. And now Pharaoh's own son would be among those who would be, you know, his firstborn son dying in the plague. Um, there is some speculation, um, although I'd say it's maybe only a 30% chance, um, some speculation that, that King Tut, um, Tutankhamun, um, the, the boy king, um, there's some speculation that King Tut was actually this firstborn son of, of Pharaoh. Um, I don't know that King Tut's dating, first of all, is correct, whatever time they dated him to. And then secondly, I don't know if that dating would line up with the most likely dating of the, of the Exodus, which we have on our page here, roughly 1446 B.C. All right. And then finally, the, the third major point from these verses, 1 through 11. Excuse me. Just got to keep a my coffee, um, is verse 10, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, there's no possibility for Pharaoh to repent, and God hardens his heart because this is part of God's judgment on Pharaoh, and by extension, God's judgment on the land of Egypt. Um, yeah. So Pharaoh had his chance to repent, but as far as we know, uh, Pharaoh is never able to repent after that, what was that, maybe the, the eighth plague? Um, maybe it was the ninth. Anyway, uh, number one, Exodus 11 verse 2 tells us that this final plague would be so disastrous that the Egyptians would be desperate to get the Israelites to leave. What would the Egyptians do to help the Israelites as they left? Looking at verse 2, tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. So, the Israelites gave them their silver and gold. Um, all, everything that was of value, articles of silver and gold. We're not talking about, you know, 
like you and I today, we, we deal with a, what we call a currency. So you have like paper dollars, ones and fives and tens and twenties and fifties and hundreds and so on. And you have coins, um, but they would go by weight. And so if you had uh, a jar or a bag of gold, uh, gold dust or gold nuggets, um, gold that is purified, um, you would have that specific weight of gold and that weight would be worth a certain amount. Um, and so if something was purified and made into a, like a golden goblet or a drinking glass, that wouldn't, you know, that's expensive, but we, we pay for that today in, in dollars. Uh, they would see that, that golden goblet itself as the primary store of value. Uh, number two, I could talk about this stuff all day, love this stuff. Uh, number two, what would God do that would be so dreadful? See verse five. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. So what would God do that would be so dreadful? He would kill all the firstborn in all of Egypt, both people and animals. Whoa! It's going to decimate their flocks. Then they've got all these dead bodies of their animals to deal with, the animals that they most recently purchased from the Israelites, um, as well as everybody is mourning. You know, every family that has a child has at least one firstborn, um, and there's definitely the possibility that, you know, if a, if a husband and wife are each the firstborn in their family and they have one child, well, maybe that entire household is dead. Like number three, like most of the recent plagues, what distinction did God make among the people living in Egypt? Verses six and seven, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. So God's people would not be affected at all. It's like so calm and tranquil, it's even more calm and quiet than a regular everyday day. Excuse me. Describe, number four, describe what the Israelites were to do with a lamb. Chapter 12, verses 2 through 11. We'll read that. Uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Uh, verse 6 there. Um, the, the wording is between the evenings. Uh, when What we have translated twilight. Uh, twilight is um, it's kind of that time after sundown but before it's dark. If, uh, if you have any hunters in your family, um, you know about hours when you hunting is permitted and not permitted. And, um, you know, like for deer hunting, you can, you can hunt half an hour before dawn and half an hour after sunset because there's that half an hour space of time 
when it's still light enough to see what's going on and to hunt safely uh, for hunting. Um, and so the two possible interpretations for that phrase, um, which in verse 6 in Hebrew is between the evenings, and the first interpretation which the NIV follows is twilight, between sundown and when it's dark. So you've got a half hour space of time when you are to slaughter this animal and consume it. The other interpretation is between sundown of one day and sundown of the next day. That is between, you know, after, after sundown, so between this evening on day one, but before the evening on the next day. Excuse me, I've been talking a lot all day. <laughs> all right, uh, so that's between the evenings. Slaughter them at twilight. Verse 7, then they are to put some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So that's verses uh, 2 through 11. Number four, describe what the Israelites were to do with a lamb. Uh, first of all is verse 3. You are to take a lamb um, and eventually, you know, on the tenth day, they take care of this animal for four days. They bring it into their home or um, you know, they take it outside to go use the bathroom or they you know, pasture it in their front yard. Um, but it, it's close to them. And um, I think one of the writers, or at least some, uh, some Lutheran commentators from the time of Martin Luther or the generation after, made the comment you know, that these people had spent some time with that lamb, and it was close to them. And, um, and the same thing for Jesus. They spent time with Jesus, and they were close with them. Anyway, what are they supposed to do? Verses 2 through 11, uh, they were to take and kill that lamb that was flawless, and a year old, so that's kind of one idea, or maybe two, I guess. You find a perfect lamb, and you take care of it, and, and, then, and it's a year old, and then you kill it. Uh, then th thirdly, you roast it. You roast it entirely so it's well done, so it's not you know, medium rare or um, you know, the way a, a good steak is supposed to be done. You're supposed to have it like, cooked all the way through. Um, you roast it to eat, and you had, when you slaughtered it, and um, they drain the blood out of it, or they, yeah, they collect the blood in a bowl, and then they use that blood to paint on the door frames of their houses. And that stalk of a, a hyssop plant, hyssop is like a little bush or a little shrub kind of a thing. Um, so maybe you've got some landscaping shrubs outside your house, or maybe you tried the, the fool's errand of trying to dig out the root ball of that, that shrub outside your house. Um, it's kind of like if you picture that, take a branch out of that and you just dip it in the blood and you use that to paint on the doorframe of your house. Um, even today, you know, if, um, when I was interning in Mississauga, Ontario, um, and I would go around distributing Easter invitations in the Jewish houses, because uh, Passover was right at the same time, there were a number of Jewish houses that had blood painted on their door frames because they, 
they were still celebrating the Passover like that. Anyway, uh, so those are really four things. Uh, pick a lamb that is a year old and perfect, so it's not injured, um, it's not diseased. And then secondly, you kill it and collect the blood. Uh, thirdly, you roast it so it's well done. And then fourthly, you paint the tops and sides of your door frame with its blood. Number five, this is looking at verse 11. In verse 11, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. Why would God tell them to eat the meal while dressed ready to travel? And the equivalent here um, is, you know, you got your shoes on your feet, you're wearing your winter jacket, you've got your hat on your head, and your suitcase is packed and sitting next to the table. And that's, that's kind of the modern equivalent. Um, why does God tell them to do that? Because they're getting ready to leave Egypt. Now, this is, they're going to be leaving in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Uh, number six, well, what would the blood on the door frames of the house of the Israelites do for the people living there? Uh, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. On that same night I will pass throughout Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So number six, what would the blood on the door frames of the households of the Israelites do for the people living there? Well, God would see the blood. God would pass over their homes and no one would die there. Um, but it, it's also worth noting, in verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses. And God says that before he says, I will see it and I will pass over. So it has a dual function. Um, that blood is supposed to be comforting for them. It's a proclamation of the gospel, a proclamation of God's saving grace that he is going to keep them safe uh, through the blood of that perfect lamb. That's the first thing. And then secondly, that God is going to see that and he's going to pass over their home. Uh, number seven, what did God put into place so that this act of rescue would never be forgotten? Um, that's verses... 14 and following. Well, I'll read part of this. I'll read through verse, verse 18, 14 through 18. Uh, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it will be from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Um, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute. I will commit some of this reading to you. But what did God put in place so that this act of rescue would never be forgotten? Well, a festival an annual yearly festival where they would be reminded and they would retell the story of God's grace to them and God's power for them, what God had done. Number eight, 
how accurate was God's prediction of what would happen? God said, um, all of Egypt is going to be wailing and all the Israelites are going to be okay. Um, chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. All 28, 29, and 30. Verse 28, the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. So everything that God had said would happen, happened. Easy peasy and lemon breezy. Um, I'm going to commit into your hands and for your reading. Um, dum -dum -dum -dum. John chapter 1, number 9, um, has some reading from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. Um, so number 9, and read through the second article to the Apostles' Creed. And number 10, and, um, and the important part is kind of what I described at the beginning, that this Passover is a reminder of what God had done in the past, as well as a promise of what God would do in the future. And, and that's kind of part of the value of Bible history, is that we see what God has done in the past. And God was faithful in the past, and God built in a lot of things into our Bible history that are going to foreshadow and actually relate to the life of Jesus um, that we'll see fulfilled in Jesus. So it's kind of like um, what we call foreshadowing. Um, or if you play, if you watch, you know, um, you know, play some video games or, you know, watch something on Netflix, sometimes they do some foreshadowing or, you know, in video games they call it an Easter egg, a, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. If you want a discussion about Easter eggs in video games and, uh, and Netflix TV shows, listen to this past Saturday's Thirsty episode. That would have been uh, January 23rd. Anyway, so your assignment um, to finish up, you know, read all of chapter 12, verses 14 through 28, because there's a little bit more that we didn't read there. Um, and then do number, number nine, read the second article, do number 10, and then fill out the key questions. Um, and then next week, we will not have catechism class. That is January 31st, because at 10.10 a.m., we're going to have our annual meet, or quarterly meeting in the fellowship hall, a live stream through Zoom. You can call in and join through Zoom on your phone. Um, it, can be broad, it will be broadcast to our Facebook group. And then afterward, I'll put it up on YouTube. Um, and I'll have an update video beforehand so hopefully you'll see where we are congregationally and what we're up to. So that is everything. Uh, so your assignment really, number nine, through the key questions at the top of the next page, and read through those sections in your catechism. Um, I'll put together a bit of a quiz or a bit of a review, because we should review a lot, everything that we have talked about thus far, um, lessons one through 13, before we get into the actual exodus and everything else. So um, I'll get that taken care of hopefully this week, and we'll go from there. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day.